0: we would look to Psalm 40, the psalm that David wrote, and really be encouraged by what you do for us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we are looking at the Psalms, and I want to encourage us, like I said today, because what's holding us back from freedom in this life is a really good question. What's holding you back in this life and having freedom here? How about also in the afterlife? What's holding you back to realizing the freedom that we have? What's stopping us from believing and trusting that the Lord is good? Is it sin? Is that what's holding us back? Is it just sin? Is it health? Is it money? What is it that's holding you back? What's holding you back from knowing or from turning from your ways to turning to God's ways? Is it just selfishness? ask you this, is it simply just trusting God? Do you truly just trust God in all your ways? Or are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in your job? Are you trusting in your parents? Are you trusting in your country? Are you trusting in the fact that you were born in the right place at the right time, into the right church with the right family? What are you really trusting in? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Is it simply belief? Share a story with you that I found absolutely fascinating. There was a missionary who went on a mission's trip to India. He was walking through a camp. He saw this giant elephant standing there. And this elephant had a thick rope and this little, tiny little peg that was stuck in the ground. And he thought to himself, how is that possible? That animal could easily break free from that little tiny stick in the ground. stopping it from just taking off. <clears throat> and so he asked himself, What I need to know what's going on here. Why is this elephant here? What's going on? So he waited for hours and hours in this village. And finally the villagers came back and he walks over to the handler and he says to him, You know, I'm a missionary. I'm trying to understand what makes this elephant stay here, knowing that it could easily just rip that little peg out of the ground. It wouldn't take much. And he says, Oh, that's a simple question. Simple answer to that question. He said, when the elephant's very, very young, very early on, we take that same peg and that same thick rope and wrap it around its leg, and it actually holds it there. The elephant won't move. It sits there, and it knows it can't escape. And so it grows up thinking its whole life that that little peg and that little rope, maybe that thick rope, will keep it stuck. the power, the strength, the ability, all of those things, it's stuck there because it was taught very on, very early, it knew that that state was going to keep it there. The missionary says, wow, that's what keeps it staying there? He says, yeah, we know it could run away. It doesn't know it, though. It's stuck that rope and that little tiny stick, how many of us are stuck there thinking we can't move, even though we've been freed? If you've been freed from Christ, or freed because of Christ, you don't have a stick there anymore. There is no rope. The movie God's Not Dead had a scene in there with Dean Cain, and he was talking to an older woman, and he was his grandmother she's sitting there and she's seeing this and she's just kind of looking deadpan and he says, what is it? What makes you do this? You're like the nicest person in the world and I'm the meanest person in the world. You have dementia and I have everything. I've got money, I've got fame, I've got it all, and yet you worship a God and he could save you from this. And the woman just starts speaking and it's very touching because she says, it's like this. Satan wants you Satan wants you to stay in that cell for as long as he possibly can. He teaches you to stay in that cell and he makes it comfortable for you. But there's going to come a time when that door is going to shut and you're not going to get out. But you're free now. You have that choice to move. But you choose not to because very early on, you believe the lies. And that's exactly what this elephant today, David is talking about encouragement to moving forward, because his life was not easy. His life was very difficult, just like many of our lives. But he understood that he had a chance to move forward because of God in his life. Do you believe the same thing that David does? So let me share some scripture with you today. It's it's called Encouragement from the Lord, Psalm 40. And this is what it says in verse 1. I want to say this first. Encouragement, according to Webster's Dictionary, is an action of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. It's the act of trying to stimulate the development of an activity, a state of being, or a belief. I want to try to encourage you guys today into a state of belief of who God is in your lives. So David says this. Out of the merry bog, he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So here it is, encouragement number one, wait on him. Now the Hebrew idiom here is, waiting I waited. That's literally what it says in the Hebrew. Waiting I waited on the Lord. Waiting I waited. So bad dad joke of the day, if you go to a restaurant and you get seated at a table and you're waiting for the waiter. know how to wait? Have you ever really asked yourself that question? Do you really wait for something good, or are you impatient about it? Do you know the attention span for Americans in 1950 was five minutes? Five minutes. 1950. They didn't have fast food restaurants back then. They didn't have really many things going on. didn't have a television. At least that's what we were told in Detroit growing up. In so 1950s, people had an attention span of five minutes. They really lasted about five minutes. they waited wait for things for about five minutes. That changed in 1990. 1990 when both parents were working and kids would come home from school, that changed completely without mom and dad there because they were both working. The attention span for Americans in the 1990s it's two minutes. It got down to two minutes. Thank you to fast food restaurants. That started popping up everywhere. So it was two minutes. I will be willing to wait for my order for two minutes. Do you know in 2023 what the attention span of Americans are today? Who said it? Five seconds? Ten? Thirty? It's nine. Nine seconds. social media. Swipe that. Don't want to watch that. Don't care about that. Just that. Oh, nine seconds. Oh, that's good. Oh, I watched that. That was kind of cool. That's all social media is about. Nine seconds. So wake up. Because I've already bored you. Nine seconds. Does that blow your mind? David says learn to wait on the Lord, and you only, right now, get nine seconds. That's all you give them average. Some of you go to 15 seconds. I get it. I get it. Yeah, it depends on what G you have. What DSL or LS, what's the stuff, the the internet connection stuff? I almost said LSD. Yeah, that got me in trouble. You could wait on stuff for a really long time on LSD. (laughs) I remember being younger and stupid and I couldn't even wait on a a red light. I couldn't even wait on a red light. Went right through it. I was like, I'm not waiting for this. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Because of TikTok and all the social media apps, nine seconds, that's our attention span in America today. So honestly, how many years later, from 1950, where it was five minutes, took to go from five minutes attention span to nine seconds. Nine seconds. How many of you love the DVR on your television because you can do something called fast forwarding the commercials? Why do you want to fast forward the commercials? Do you know how long a commercial is? Get rid of them. It was a TiVo. It was the original DVR. You go out and buy a TiVo, and you could record all your stuff. And then when you got to the commercials, you could fast forward it all. In fact, now there's a there's a company called Hulu where they give you a subscription, and you have to watch the commercial in order to watch your program. How crazy is that? I guarantee you, it was the TV companies that created Hulu because that's where they make all their money. So God is saying, wait on me. Wait on me. Do you trust him, church? Do you trust God? Because here's the question everyone should be asking. Why should I wait on you? Why should I wait on you, God? Nothing's good happened in my life. Everything's hard. My job is horrible. My family's horrible. My school is horrible. I used to like this boy, now he likes another girl. I used to like this girl, now she likes another boy. My life is horrible. I used to go to this class and it was a lot of fun. Now the teacher's mean. Do you trust God? Are you willing to wait on Him? Because God, in verse 2, David tells us to wait. Because God draws us out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. Do you know what a miry bog is? That's the stuff you find at the bottom of an old used or recently closed cistern. It's that slippery, gooey stuff where you're going to eventually fall. He actually lifts you up out of that. And he puts you on solid ground. He puts you on himself. God draws us up out of the merry bogs to something wonderful, himself. He sets our feet on the rock of Jesus. I love this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, everyone seems to know. Everyone seems to know, and it rings true when I hear this, that he's doing this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. What? In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. However, do you know what 7 and 8 says? us. When we stop being impatient, and by the way, I, I'm not a doctor, so I have no patience. Another bad dad joke, It is very prevalent. Yesterday, my wife and I went to the bank, and we came home, and we're getting on the freeway, and as you all know, I love Michigan drivers. I'm literally merging onto the freeway, and a guy behind me, who I see him at 70 miles an hour getting onto the freeway. He passed me just to cut me off. And so I sped up and got around him. And I thought to myself, if I was God for a day, and then I just started praying, Lord, give me patience, because this person doesn't look like hyla But I was looking to something. I was looking. in the world, are you willing to wait? Because I want to encourage you today, church, wait. It's the act of trying to stimulate the development of belief in you. That's what encouragement is. I'm trying to get you to wait on God, wait on Jesus, run to him, then learn to wait on him. Learn to wait to hear that still, small voice, that gentle voice, that humble voice. That's the Holy Spirit who teaches and who guides us. We learn to find health and healing in our bones when we learn to wait. Because a lot of us are impatient. We want our stuff now. How many of you are excited to pay an extra $140 a year to get Amazon Prime? No one? Only I was? Okay, I'm the only one here that's impatient. Amazon Prime affords you the opportunity. Get your package the next day. And I went, ooh, $140 to get my package the next day? I'm there. I'll do do that so that I can order a bunch of stuff and I'll get it the next day. Sometimes it's two days. And how many of us are so mad that it comes in two days? You said it would be here Wednesday. Why is it Thursday? And then you're texting them and you're going, what's going on? And you're getting angry. Because I really needed that stupid thing that I bought online. How many of you get angry that when you get it, it's broken? Oh, how many of us have watched TikTok where you watch the FedEx or UPS guy or whatever it is, and they just take the package, scan it, and they're like, and then they walk away? Or I've seen this recently where the FedEx guy or the UPS guy or the mail guy goes, In her pocket, walks away, and thinking, oh, what? They what? You do realize that there's ring nowadays. They can record what you're doing. You're stealing. You know, it doesn't matter. It's unreal. But we learn and we're taught and guided by the Holy Spirit in the most difficult times. The Holy Spirit can and will guide you. Guide in this passage that I'm about to read is the road or the way. Being guided involves a destination. guide means if you learn to wait. It says this in John sixteen thirteen. when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in your spiritual journey. You into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit can and will convict you. This word convict here is actually a legal term evidence is clear and the judge is ready to get a judgment against you, a sentence that's going to be done, because we all have sinned and need a Savior. So we need to learn to repent and turn to his ways after we learn that if we wait. It says in John 16, 8-11, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, Jesus said. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. of you, praying for you? Think about this for a moment, church. I'm just going to let you sit there patiently thinking about this. God lives inside There is no need for a second baptism. Anyone who tells you that is a liar. It's a lie from the pit of hell. There is no need for a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's garbage. And the whole speaking in tongues and all that stuff, not there in the Scriptures at all. It's not even taught there. It's made up by man or by Satan, the father of lies. It's quite simply this. Ephesians 1.13, Paul tells us, When we receive and believe Jesus Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. For someone to tell you something. That you have to have this experience in order to know the Holy Spirit. No! You have Him living inside of you. When you believe Jesus Christ, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And nothing can break the seal of God. Nothing can break it. Not even you. And so God is praying for us. If you wait, it says this in Romans, Likewise, the Spirit, in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us, groanings too deep for words, and He searches hearts and knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When you and I wait, when we really learn to wait, it's encouraging it. About a month ago, two months ago, I wasn't willing to wait for God. You heard me confess it about my insurance. I wasn't willing to wait for God. I was ready to quit my job and go become a teacher or do something fun or go get a job again. And I was told by my wife several times, wait for God, wait for God, wait for God. Thank you, Katie, for the encouragement of waiting for God to be able to build me up in that way, to encourage me to wait because I'm impatient. Are the same way. How many of us are waiting on God? Can I really encourage you today, church? When you and I wait, we get something far better than we can ever imagine in this life, in the afterlife. In fact, we get a hope. We get a hope that others don't get. And it causes us to do something. In fact, it says this in verse 3 of today's Psalm He put a new song in my mouth, David said. A song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after others. sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted. You've given me an open ear. It's not about sacrifice. It's not about religion. It's not even about burnt offering. This is David talking about that during the Old Testament sacrificial times. It means so much more for us today with Jesus Christ. It's not about your burnt offerings. It's not about your sacrifices. It's about God who doesn't even desire those things. He desires you. sin offerings you have not required, it says. Verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It was written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness of the great congregation. Here's encouragement number two, church. Tell others about Christ in your life. Last week I said it, life is short and we need a Savior. Life's short and we need a Savior. We need to start telling others of what has happened to us and why we are the way that we are. It's because of Jesus Christ in our lives. How many of you know the ministry called I Am Second? watch I Am Second. I want you to listen to someone who tells their story. It's about eight minutes. I know that's way past your attention spans. Way past. But think of yourselves in the 1900s, I guess, because 1950s was only five minutes. Can you imagine learning by candlelight? But I want you to hear the encouragement. This is a man who rang true in my life as a coach. I have a couple, I have a, at least one book in my named Tony Dungy. You all know who Tony Dungy is? What a godly man. It's an amazing, and I'm not trying to lift up Tony Dungy, but he's doing something with this because he felt the ministry here was a good ministry. There's other people, other famous people. In fact, you can go online, onto YouTube and you can watch I Am Second because it's all about them and their great things that are happening in their lives and what God has done, but they realize in the end that they're second. It's a great ministry because the story rings true in my life. And I'm sharing this story with you for obvious reasons. There's another one I want to encourage you with that I would encourage all of you to go watch. Her name is Sean Johnson. Y'all know who Sean Johnson is? She's about four foot. She was an Olympian. She's got a great seven or eight minute story as well. I, I was encouraged because she's living a life about perfection. Her whole goal was being perfect. And if she didn't hit her life was horrible. It was difficult. She didn't like herself. It's an amazing story to hear Sean Johnson talk about being second and not being perfect. But let me share this story with you because the ministry is trying to encourage people as they're telling others in the ministry that has God telling others about Himself and what He's done in their lives. So let's see this one truth. It's encouragement. Hold true. Two thousand
1: five season. We're the number one seed. We've got a, a great team, a team really without any weaknesses. We've got home field advantage. Everyone's saying it's our year. We end up falling behind to the Steelers in our first round game. When we march back. We've got a chance to tie the game up and go into overtime. And uh, Mike Bandit, that's our kicker, extremely accurate guy. He never misses a big kick, and he misses goes on to win the Super Bowl. And now you kind of hear it from everybody. Well, the Colts are never going to win one. They've had all these teams that are, are really good, but something's missing. And that window of opportunity is going to close up on them. I can remember thinking, man, as good a team as we had, I think you can glorify the Lord in every circumstance. How you respond to failure, how you respond to disappointment, and it says a lot more than how you do in successes. God has taken some unexpected things in my life uh, over and over, uh, and, and really, I think, tried to find out if I was going to stay with him or if I was ever going to get to the point where I say this is too much. I started coaching when I was 25 years old, and probably by the time I'd been an assistant coach for 10, 11 years, the word was getting out, this guy might be a good head coach. I started to interview for for head coaching jobs, but everyone was looking for that stereotypical coach, looking for the guy who was going to demand perfection from his players, who was going to show that emotion and, and everything that they expected to see in it. How much does this mean to you? How much are you prepared to sacrifice to to lead this team and what's important to you in in life? And you know what the the man wants to hear, but it's not really what's in your heart. I'm going to give you a lot. I believe I'm going to deliver you a championship, but... job. I don't know anybody there. I have no connections. And so when I got the job, I said, you know what, we want to win a Super Bowl, and I believe we will. I want to do it the right way. I want to do it so that our young men are people that the community is going to be proud of. I want to do it in such a way that we're doing the right thing with our families, and it's going to be a win-win situation. I believe it can be done, and I believe it can be done here. down feeling like, hey, this is where God wants us, we're going to win, everything's going to be great because this is God's plan, it's not my plan. disappointments in my life because I did feel like the Lord had brought me down to Tampa. And I had to realize that it worked out. It just didn't work out the way I had planned I didn't know at the time when I got fired uh, what I was supposed to do. Um, Was I supposed to look for something in Tampa outside of football? Was I was supposed to look for another job, another city. And Jim Arce, the owner of the Colts, called me. And he said, we're making a change at the head coach for the Indianapolis Colts, and you're the guy that I want to be our coach. I believe in all the things that you believe in. We want to do things the right way. We want to win, but win with the right kind of people. And you're the guy to lead us. And that, that was a message that I really needed to hear at that point. Says, what would a profit man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? And through 31 years in the National Football League, I've seen that a lot. And so, to me, that was the thing that I always wanted to to tell my players: um, don't don't put this game first. Don't don't make football everything in your life. How we relate to each other, how we live, uh, what you have in your heart for eternity that's the most important thing this game will take care of itself even though we you know for four or five years had those bitter disappointments at the end of each year i never gave up it wasn't to the point where i said hey we can never win this thing but I, i got to the point where if that is what god has in store it would be a bitter pill to swallow but uh the moment, and, and we did that. Amazing thing in the locker room, Super Bowls are so different. As soon as you win, the celebration starts. You have a ceremony out on the field. It maybe takes 40 minutes to get everybody back together. Many of our players were just waiting. They said, Coach, we've got to finish this one like we have every other game. We've got to have the team prayer. And we asked that the reporters shut their cameras down and let us pray. And I was so proud of the guys for, for hanging in there and saying, this is what we want to do. We want to honor the Lord in this victory. And uh, we did that. One photographer didn't honor our wishes. He took a picture of it. But that picture went all over the internet, went all over And it was really a, a great tribute to what that team had in mind of, of putting the Lord first, even at the Super Bowl. Every decision I make, Life. I'm going to make it through the lens of Jesus Christ. I'm going to put Him out there first, and my own feelings, my own thoughts, my own desires are going to be second. Is that something? And if we do that, Christ promised that He would come into our lives. He'd be our head coach, and He'd guide us to to that victory, that ultimate victory. I'm Tony Dungy, and I.
0: tell others. It's because there are people in this world that are hurting, and they need to know that your life is different because of Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing story, and, and Tony Dungy tells a great story about how he puts God first, and he was second. And he had to ask himself the question, is winning all that matters? And he realized that, no, it's not. It's Jesus Christ that matters more, and that's what we need championing those who put Christ first in our athletics. That's why I love the opportunity to coach these kids in 8th and 9th and 10th and 11th and 12th grade, and even 7th grade and 6th grade, and even my own kids, the chance to coach these kids to realize that life is more than football, that there's more to life, that you can't just quit on your teammates when life gets hard. There's more to life than that can't quit when you actually make a decision about your job because there's an easier one out there you've got to fight and make sure that you understand that with God you are second he's always first and that's the big thing, we need to tell others that's the encouragement today, tell others why you believe what you believe not just what you believe understand it, know it, share it so that they can know why there's a lot of people in this world that need a solution to their hurts. There's a lot of people in this world that need a solution to their pain, their depression, their suffering, their addictions. In fact, just listen. Verse 11 says, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love, your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. And I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord. Make haste to help me. Listen to this prayer, church. Those, let those who be put to shame and disappointed altogether, who search to snatch away my life. Let those who turn back and brought to dishonor, who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because their shame say to me, aha, aha. May all who seek you rejoicing be glad. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thoughts for me. You are my help and my deliverer. You do not delay. Oh my God. Here's encouragement number three, the last encouragement. God is our deliverer. Baker Baker Encyclopedia for the Bible says this. It means to rescue. Redemption. The agent of such a rescue is what a deliverer is. The scripture teaches that God's ultimate goal in history is to rescue people from the curse of sin. He rescues us from death. He rescues you from Satan. He rescues you from hell. He sent sacrifice ever needed to get us out of and deliver us from ourselves and our sins. Ruō in Greek means to save or rescue or persevere. That's what God does. God is our deliverer. You might be having a bad day. Your work is hard. Your kids don't listen to you. You're getting into fights with your loved ones. Your deliverer is in Jesus Christ. Your deliverer is Jesus Christ. Your wife doesn't want to give you the things that you need. Your deliverer is Jesus Christ. Your job doesn't give you what you need. Your deliverer is Jesus Christ. Everything that you have, no matter if your job or your circumstances or your wife or your husband, if none of those things change, your deliverer is Jesus Christ. Stop looking to our circumstances. Start looking to our Deliverer, God. David is saying that the world is laughing at you because all those who seek Him will be glad and rejoice in the Lord because He is their salvation. Great is the Lord. We're all poor and needy. But the Lord takes care of us. He's our Helper and our Deliverer. Not our money. Not our time. Just get the right person in office. Everything's going to be so much better. There won't be any lying, cheating, or stealing. No. No. Your Savior's not the government. Your Savior, your Deliverer, is Jesus Christ. Yes, we should be voting with people who are going to be looking to Jesus Christ as their Deliverer. Not someone who just gives you lip service, because they're all good at doing that. But your Deliverer is Jesus Christ. Christ it's funny because this world God used for the believer in the end times in fact here's a little taste of revelation to come the word deliver here is the same word God used for believers to be delivered from the calamities which God will visit on men at the end of this present age he actually saves us from that all the calamities all the judgments all the seals And trumpets. We get delivered from that according to the scriptures. Now we can fight about whether it's pre trib, mid trib, post trib, and all that stuff. That's going to be fun. But I'm telling you right now, you are delivered from the wrath of God. Now you got people who are out there going, well, what is that? I'm telling you right now, it's happening soon. And so you better listen because God is the deliverer. It's the same word here for deliverer as it is in Revelation. He delivers us. We're delivered from the calamities which God will visit on men at the end of this present age. God is our deliverer. There could be no other. So in closing, before I pray, remember this, wait on Him. He's there for you. If you and I would just learn to wait, He's there for us. Number two, tell others about Him. Tell others about your lives. It's the greatest story ever told. It's the greatest story ever told and we need to continue to keep telling it. There's too many in this area right now the joke, the frozen chosen, and all that kind of stuff. But there are too many in this area right now that don't tell others about Christ, and they don't care to tell others about Christ because God's going to handle it. I'm telling you right now, your story is important. There's a reason why I get together with people. I want to know your stories. I want to hear what God's doing in your life, and I want to share what God's doing in my life. So we tell others because it's an encouragement. It builds each other up. I don't want to know that you were born in the right Christian family. Christian church? I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care. What I want to know is, how are you living with God? How are you struggling with God? How are you encouraged with God? If you are just perfect, if you're a 10, then you don't need anything else. I'm not a 10. I'm a negative 10, and I need your encouragement. So tell others about him, and then remember, he's our deliverer. It's not money not fame. It's not health. It's not wealth. It's not prosperity. It's him. That's the three things David was telling us today. Wait on him, tell others about him, and understand who he is in your life. He's your deliverer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. As I call up the people to worship you, Lord, I call them up now, and we're getting ready to worship you. About you, Lord, as a as a pastor, as a coach, as a father, as a husband, as a son, God, I I pray that we would share your story with others because it's an encouragement. I pray that the kids in all the different areas in this church, whether they're at Stevie or Baker or Pine Street or Door Elementary or the middle school, or they're in the high school, Lord, I pray church that they could come to and they could see that we care about them, that we love them, that we pray for their teachers and we pray for them in their situations and their home lives. God, I pray that we would be a church that they could come to and find peace and rest and enjoyment in you. Because you're